Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist West Memphis. We're so happy you've chosen to listen, and we pray that you'll be blessed by this message. If you have your Bibles, I would like to ask you to join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We have been going through the book of Ephesians since August, and uh, in December we uh, took a break from that on Sunday mornings and moved that study to Wednesday nights, and now we come to close the year 2020 with a sermon that, if I would be honest with you, if knowing what I know now, hindsight is 2020, right? If, if I knew then what I knew now, I think I would begin with this sermon. When you look at all that God has done for us, in Ephesians chapter 1, we learn that he is, he is not withheld from us a single blessing. He has given us every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How he has brought us from death to life in chapter 2 and from being far off to being near. In chapter 3, we learn that he has revealed to us the mystery that is the gospel. And in chapter 4, we learn that because of that, we ought to walk in a manner that is worthy of the high calling of Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, we learn that we are to be imitators of God. And then we began to see how that played out, how we are to represent him because of the gospel and the world that we live in with our church, with our families. And now we study a principle that is so incredibly important. The message of my sermon today is the battle. The battle. If you have your Bibles, we will begin in verse 10 of chapter 6. But before we get to this text, I want to take just a few moments to reflect on something very personal for me. On April the 9th of 2008, uh, I went on our first mission outside of the FOB in Iraq. We had trained for several months with the 39th um, Infantry. We had trained uh, to go and carry supplies, escort supplies across Iraq. And on April the 9th, after all this training was our first, our first time outside of the wire. I still recall it. I still remember rifle, clean, scope, Sighted magazines, loaded everything with that weapon was perfect and ready and in hand. The truck and the vehicles that we had, oil was changed, tire pressure was correct, belts were tightened and were, were proper. Uh, I think of every technical aspect of that vehicle was in place, was checked, was double checked, was triple checked. Our armor that we had on was inspected multiple times. The plates in our body armor in every location was uh, inspected several times to make sure that they were in the right place, that they were exact, that they were tight. Our helmets were, were uh, secured on our heads. Our boots were, were tightened fastly. There was nothing about us and nothing about our uniform that could be easily gotten. Everything was inspected and ready to go. One last one last review of the hot spots and the areas that we'd be driving through, a prayer, and then we left. Out the first gate, and then the second, 
And then finally, to the third gate, out into the combat zone. It's hard to describe. Fear that wasn't quite fear. Energy that wasn't quite quite adrenaline. But a keen awareness that you are no longer within the safety of your base or you are no longer around people, surrounded by people who wanted your well-being. You are now in the combat zone. And if I had anything to share with you today from Ephesians chapter 6, it would be this. You are in a combat zone right now. Everywhere, all the time, every place, we are constantly in a combat zone. Despite the fact that we've lived comfortable lives and we've surrounded ourselves with comfort and we've made comfort really the God of our own lives, we have forgotten that we are perpetually in a combat zone with an enemy who desires that we would be brought down, that we would be destroyed, that we would be discouraged, that we would be made into nothing. And if you've learned anything today, I want you to understand that today, not in a few moments when you walk outside of these doors and out into the parking lot, at this moment, even if you're watching from the comfort of your house and your recliner, in this very moment, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ who's been born again, you are in the combat zone. And Paul has strong words for his people. Paul has strong words for the church at Ephesus and for the church at First Baptist Church in West Memphis for us to understand the battle that we are in so that we can be prepared and wage war. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now you would speak to this weak preacher the power of your gospel so that your people may be equipped to do battle. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Perhaps I look back at 2020 and knowing all that we have been through, wish that I could have began here so that you could have understood throughout this entire time that the things that are going on around you are not a result of just mishaps or coincidences and that this is not a result of just mankind, but everything that is going on around you is warfare. But it was important that we establish the foundation by which we can do battle, by which we can even be in the battle and have success, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians is firmly set there in chapters 1 through 3, and now Paul is getting ready to close, and he says, Church, I want you to know one last thing. I want you to understand this. I want you to wrap your mind around this and live in this reality. You are in battle. And he gives us five things that he wants us to know about being in battle. The first is this. He wants us to understand the strength for the battle. If you're taking notes, write down the strength. The strength for the battle. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The first thing that Paul wants us to know, and, and even more than Paul, the first thing that the Holy Spirit wants his people to know is this, that yes, you are in battle, but you must be strong for battle. No one wants to be weak when going into battle, to have that, uh, to have that already besetting quality, to go into battle unprepared, unready. He says, be strong. This is a thought throughout Scripture, a command throughout Scripture. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be very strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God commanded Joshua to be strong. God commands his people to be strong. So often in the church, we have neglected this strength. We've mistaken Meekness, we've mistaken meekness for weakness. And we've wound up with a church that is weak and ineffective, a gospel that is no gospel, a powerless religion that, that does very little to testimony to the entire world, an effeminate Christianity that is so watered down that it has nothing to offer the world. You see, the Scripture, though we understand we are weak from the Scripture, God commands His people to be strong. To be strong. Joshua 1 9 says, Psalm 27 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong. Be strong. God cares that his people go into battle with strength. God desires that his people be strong in battle. But we don't need just any ordinary strength. This is not a strength that you and I can provide or muster in and of ourselves. In a couple of days, we'll make New Year's Eve resolutions. And if anyone is like me, one of your resolutions is, I'm going to eat better and lose weight and get fit and That'll last for about a week and a half until you remember that pecan pie that you ate for Christmas and how good it was. But you'll make that resolution to, to do that, and many in here will follow through and do really well on it. But I want you to understand this. 
That's good for the body, and I want you to do that. We ought to take care of our bodies and be good stewards of our bodies, but I want you to understand this. If you make that commitment this year on New Year's Day, and even right now in this moment, you ought to make the commitment to not just be physically strong, but to be spiritually strong. To be strong in the Lord is what Paul commands. Be strong where it counts. I was with my family this uh, week celebrating Christmas, and my brother uh, is extremely talented when it comes to sports, has great hand-eye coordination, but all throughout my life, my younger brother has been better at sports than me. I have no hand-eye coordination. Uh, You know, it's amazing that I'm, you know, I tripped over that, that speaker coming up here, so that ought to be just a perfect testament to that. But I was asking my dad this weekend, did it ever disappoint you. My dad's kind of athletic. Did it ever disappoint you that I was unable to do those things that that Andy was able to do, hit the home runs when I was lucky to get on base or, or, you know, shoot a free throw when I was lucky to dribble the ball without looking at it, you know? Did it ever, did it ever discourage you? And and one of the things he says, no, Josh, you, you really enjoyed music. And the way I figured it, you would be able to enjoy that longer than I've been able to enjoy my athleticism. But you know what? There's coming a day where even the musicians will lose their ability to play the music and to do those things. But if you're strong in the Lord and you're on your deathbed and all other talents have left you, that strength counts. That strength remains. As a matter of fact, some of the strongest people I have seen in my life who were strong in the Lord were strongest at a point that their physical bodies were the weakest. That's a strength that remains. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, Paul commands young Timothy, rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Brothers and sisters, God's command to us here is to be strong in the Lord. And then he continues, be strengthened by the Lord and in the strength of his might. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates this verse like this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. You see, the strength that God gives us for the battle is no ordinary strength. It's his very own strength. The strength that spoke into nothing and said, let there be light, that's the strength that God has extended to his followers. The strength that called Jesus up out of the grave, that power lives within you and within me. Those of us who are born again, who've repented of our sins and called upon the Lord Jesus, he says, therefore, be strengthened by that, by his vast strength. There's a strength that is needed for battle. And believers, it's been provided for you through Jesus. But notice not only with me the strength, but the scale. Look at the scale of the battle. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The scale of our warfare is massive. 
The scale of our warfare is cosmic, and so often we get distracted into playground, schoolyard fights, petty little indifferences within the church. We, we make our battle into physical, into mental issues. Our battle is so much larger. We don't have time to waste our battles on political endeavors. We don't have time to waste our battles on social endeavors. Our battles are spiritual. They're not with people. They're not with parties. They're not with nations or languages or ethnicities or with colors. Our battles are spiritual spiritual. Every day we are in this battle that is, belongs to enemies that we cannot properly see. The first enemy he really labels here is the devil. And can I just say that even though popular theology and, and new Christian movements would say that the devil is not an actual person, I would say that the scripture testifies over and over again that Satan, that the devil, is an actual is an actual personal being. He's not just some metaphor for evil or for adversary, but he is an actual personal being. An angel who God created, who rebelled and, and, and God cast down from heaven, who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Almost every New Testament author affirms the physical, excuse me, not the physical, but the personal being of Satan. Jesus spoke with Satan uh, in Matthew chapter 4. We see clear that, clearly that he is a personal being and he has your demise in his sights. John MacArthur in his commentary on Ephesians says the following about Satan. It says, we see him opposing God's work in Zechariah 3.1 perverting God's word in Matthew 4, 6, hindering God's servant in 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, hindering the gospel in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, snaring the wicked in 1 Timothy 3, 7, appearing as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, fighting with the archangel Michael in Jude 9, and he brought sin into the world, and the whole world now lies under his power, 1 John 5, 19. Satan is a real being, and he has you in his sights. He's not an unwise being. I'm not here to praise that wicked uh, accuser of the brethren whose punishment will be an eternal separation from God and the lake of fire. I'm not here to praise him, but to let you know he's not haphazardly waging war on you. It's methodical. It's planned out. We learn this in this passage. He says in verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Here we see there's a hierarchy involved. And we don't completely, fully understand how this works, but Satan and all of his fallen angels and all the spiritual forces of darkness are organized, prepared, waging war on you. And yet believers are content with walking out these doors in a few moments as if they are in a, in a zone that there's no conflict. There's conflict, brothers and sisters, there's conflict going on right now in this room at this very moment. And Satan is continuously planning and all the evil forces are continuously working and scheming for your demise. The scale of our battle is cosmic. That is why we need a strength 
that is greater than what we can provide. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says this of Satan. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If I took you out to a field and let you out of my truck and said, by the way, there's a lion in this field, and then I took off, number one, we wouldn't be friends anymore, would we? No, we wouldn't be friends, and I wouldn't be a friend, and you wouldn't walk across that field like there was nothing going on in your life. You'd have some urgency. It, it might be the last run that you make, but you're going to give it your all to get across there. Believers, there's an enemy, a cosmic enemy. We're in a cosmic warfare. That is the scale of our battle. But look with me thirdly at the stance in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or resist in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Our stance in battle is not fleeing in defeat, although that may be all that many of you know. It's not cowering in fear. That's not our stance in battle. The word stand firm, which has been used several times in this text already, when spoken of in military terms, means to hold your ground. And what God is telling his people is, I've given you my strength against this evil, wicked power of darkness. Now, hold your ground. Hold your ground. Don't run away. Don't turn around and run. Don't cower in fear. Stand your ground. Hold it. Our job is not to gain ground. That's his job. All we do is we hold it. By the strength that he's given us, we hold it. We say, this is where we stand. We can't go any further. This is where we are. We hold ground. We hold ground with sin in our lives. God gives us victory over sin. You've got to hold that ground. Satan, I'm not going to give in to this temptation. We have to resist him. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. In 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, which we just read a while ago, the Bible tells us to resist Satan. Our job is not to pursue him, to learn more about him. Our job is not to, to go after him on our own. Our job is to stand our ground and to resist him. The scripture says in James chapter 4, in verses 7 through 8, if we resist the devil, he will flee. Why? Why? Because if we're cowering, he knows that he can get on us and he can, he can, he can fight. He can continually remind us of, or, or, or lie to us and tell us that we have zero worth, that we're, we've messed everything up, that we should have nothing but depression and anxiety and fear. He could do that. But when we stand firm with the strength that God has given us, he flees because he knows it's not the soldier who's standing firm, but the Savior who's standing behind him. Here, we are commanded to stand firm. And brothers and sisters, I just wish that all of us had the same resolve to stand firm in spiritual battle as we have to stand firm in our political ideals. We ought to be brothers and sisters who stand firm in the midst of spiritual battle. The strength, the scale, 
the stance. Now look with me in verses 14 through 17 as we see the security that God has provided us. The armor. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the, all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we read this passage, a lot of times we're taught that these, this is armor that we can attain. We have to go and search out. We have to ask God for But that's not what he's saying here. This is armor that has already been given to you. It's in your locker ready for you to put on and go to work. But we just walk on out like nothing is different. Like there's no combat zone. We don't need any armor. And we wonder why we're constantly destroyed and defeated. He's given us security here. He's given us armor. Let's look at this armor. First, he gave us the belt of truth. A soldier's basic uniform in Rome uh, consisted of a tunic. It was a square or rectangular uh, item of clothing that had holes cut out for the arms and for the neck. But it hung loosely on the body. And it served as a comfortable barrier between them and the hard armor that would be over the top of them. They would have on this uh, tunic was their, was their basic part of their uniform. But when you're in hand-to-hand combat... You don't need loose items of clothing out there ready for your enemy to drag you back. You need everything to be tight. You need nothing to be caught on uh, the enemy's sword or on the enemy's snare so that they can entrap you. And so the Roman soldier would take their belt and they would tighten it up and they would tuck their tunic down into it tight so that their tunic could not be caught and be drawn back into a situation that would not be desirable for their victory. And so they put on this belt. And the first thing Paul says, it's unique. The first thing, he says, put on this belt of truth. You know, I think he says that because so often for Christians, truth is the first thing we're willing to compromise. Hey, you believe what you want to believe. Sure, maybe. Maybe that's how that is. We compromise truth so that we can just get on to the next subject. So we can just get out of there. And yet, Paul tells us, if we are going to be successful in battle, the very first thing that must be of most importance to us is the truth. You cannot win the battle without the belt of truth tightened around you, keeping you from falling into a trap. If you know the truth, Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. This word will not fail you. This word will not lead you astray. Follow his word. Study his word. Hide it in your heart. Meditate upon it day and night so that when the enemy comes to get you, you will know the truth and you won't be confused and distracted and pulled down into into needless Needless pain and sorrow. He says, tighten on the belt of truth. It's our commitment to truth. And if you want to win the battle, if you want to win in the battle and you want to stand firm, you've got to put on the belt of truth. No compromise when it comes to God's word. No compromise. Adrian Rogers said it, and I'll just echo it again to you. 
We don't have to get along with anybody else. We don't have to be friends or fellowship with anybody else. We don't have to be the Southern Baptist Convention. Our associations don't have to last, but we cannot compromise what is written here. This is God's Word. This is truth. This is where we stand, and we can have no other. There's nothing else. There's no book written by mankind, no Baptist faith and message that tries to enunciate these words. Nothing is a substitute for this book. The truth. So tie it up. Meditate on it this year. Meditate on his word this week. Know the truth and you will be set free. The next thing he says that we, next piece of armor we're to put on, our security is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate obviously covers the torso where all of our major organs are. Without this, you are really vulnerable in battle. Roman soldiers would often have a hard leather uh, vest that on top of it, or, or maybe it was really thick cloth, and on top of it was sewed pieces of overlapping bone or stone or metal or, or hard surfaces so that when a when something would, when they would be attacked, their armor would protect them. That hard metal or hard surface that was sewn on would protect them. You've also seen the metal sculpted uh, uh, breastplates that, that Roman soldiers often wore. By the way, Paul would have been probably chained to a Roman soldier while writing this and saying, hey, yeah, you know what? God doesn't send us out without uh, our armor. He gives us the breastplate of righteousness. While, while the belt is our commitment to the truth, the breastplate is our commitment to righteousness. This means two different things. When you were born again, if indeed you were, when God saved you, you were given imputed righteousness. That means that God has taken off your sinful clothes and he's putting on the righteous robes of Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus now belongs to you. That's called imputed righteousness. That breastplate that we wear into battle is our reminder that our heart is not guarded by our own ability and our own goodness, but by what God has already accomplished through Jesus. But that breastplate is not only the imputed righteousness of God, but it is our practical righteousness. That is this, if I've been changed by Jesus and given his righteousness, I want to act in a way that is righteous. Now, you may be in here today and you say, well, Josh, I have been saved. Maybe, maybe you'd say that and you don't mean it, but you would say, I have God's imputed righteousness, but I don't really care about living a righteous life. I would say you have neither. Because to have the righteousness of Jesus is to want to be righteous, is to want to live in a way that honors him. That breastplate guards our most vital organs as we come to him, as we do battle. We wear this breastplate of righteousness that guards our heart, his righteousness, our pursuit of righteousness in the, in the midst of battle is an important asset for us. He gives us the gospel shoes next. A soldier's top priority is his boots. Uh, I, when I was deployed, I went to a little extra uh, uh, effort to make sure that my boots were taken care of because it doesn't matter how much equipment you have on up here, if your feet are, if your toes are falling off and you got gangrene, it doesn't matter. You can't stand firm in the battle. 
So Paul says that we've been given a special kind of shoes. He says here that we've been given the gospel shoes, the readiness for the gospel. This means two different things. I think that he is drawing back to what he said in Romans and what was said in Isaiah when he says that beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. Yes, the gospel shoes is our willingness to share the gospel. But let me suggest to you that even more than that, our gospel shoes are how we stand firm. It's not just our readiness to preach the gospel to others, but it is our readiness to preach the gospel to ourselves. You see, when we do battle, we need a firm foundation. And if those shoes don't have the cleats and the wear and the ability to, to stand firm, then it doesn't matter. The gospel shoes gives us strength to stand. Do you hear me? Paul says that when he preached the gospel to the first Corinthians, it, he gave them the ability to stand. You see, the gospel shoes are not just our ability to go out and share the gospel with others. It's our ability to share the gospel with ourselves, to remind ourselves that's where our footing is. The gospel shoes. He gives us the shield of faith next. Always, he says, always bring with you the shield of faith. In Roman times, uh, there are different words for shields. There are some that are round and small and easy to maneuver. But the shield that's referenced here is about two and a half feet wide by four feet tall. Soldiers would gather in a line and they would move a, a wall together. And each of them would have these two and a half by four foot uh, shields. And they would move together as a unit and it would be like a wall and it would protect them. The shields were made of wood and often overlaid with either metal or leather that, was, uh, that had been soaked in water. And one of the reasons they did that was because enemies would often take their bows and arrows and before shooting it, they would put a piece of cloth on it with pitch or tar or some flammable material. They'd light it and they would let the arrows loose. This not only caused a more painful death, but it also made, the, made it more massive. The damage was, was more massive. It would set things on fire, and, and bits of the fire and the cloth would go off everywhere, wounding soldiers, making them unable to see, unable to conduct themselves in battle. And Paul says, whatever you do, carry the shield of faith. Faith is our trusting that God is good for his word. Always take the shield of faith. Satan tempted Adam and Eve to disbelieve in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say that if you eat of this fruit, you will die? He tried to tempt Jesus. Did God, I mean, you know, if you, if you throw yourself off this temple, you, you'll, you'll succeed. You mean, you, you, the angels will catch you. He tried to warp everything. He tried to make people disbelieve. He still does that today. But if you carry that shield of faith, when he shoots that arrow and says, you're not worth it, when he shoots that arrow and says, you can't do it, when he shoots that arrow and he says that you've made a mess of your life and there's nothing that God can do for you and you can't be successful, successful in the kingdom of God and you can't be fruitful in the kingdom of God, when he shoots those darts, just lift up that shield of faith. And you say, I believe that God is good for his word. And he who began a good work in me will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet covers our heads. The most important, the most important armor that, that a soldier will carry is their helmet. 
without security for their head, without protection, it doesn't matter if everything else works. If that's gone, obviously it's, it's of no use. And so the helmet is so incredib incredibly important. It gives you a sense of courage that you don't normally have, a sense of bravery that you don't normally have, certainly more than one on the battlefield without a helmet. And so Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. That is this. When you go to battle, you remember who you belong to. When you go to battle, remember what Jesus has already saved you from. And even more importantly, remember that the battle is his and he will save you. There is an ultimate salvation that is implied in this helmet of salvation. Wear it. Put it on every day. Put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Don't take it off when you go to bed because Satan ain't done yet. He's going to continue after you've gone to sleep. Leave the armor on. Finally, he says, you've been given the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon, which he says is the Word of God. When Satan tempted Jesus, how did he combat him? With Scripture properly within its context, Scripture. God's people ought to have his word so hidden in their heart that when Satan comes and tempts, we can be like our Savior, the author and perfecter of our faith, by quoting Scripture back to him and resisting him and watching him flee. The Bible says that the Scripture is our only offensive weapon, not strategizing, not rational thinking, no, our only offensive weapon is the Scripture. Therefore, we should use it. It's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. But finally, I want you to see with me the strategy. The strategy in verses 18 through 20. We've seen the strength. It's as supernatural as the scale. God has given us supernatural strength. The scale is cosmic. The stance standing firm, holding our ground, the security, armor, the likes the world has never seen. And then finally, the strategy. What is battle? Boy, I would, if you would believe most Christians today, you would think that the battle is in the voting booth or the battle is in what society looks like. Or the battle is in our ability to petition or how well our church is doing, going out knocking on doors, inviting people to church. Those are good things. What is the battle? It's not very glamorous to most. Verse 18 through 20, praying at all times in the Spirit. That's the battle. The greatest battle that you're going to face in this life will not be won by convincing your children that they need to repent and give their life to the Lord or by convincing your spouse that they ought to not act in such a way. The greatest battles that you're going to face are not between them. The greatest battles are going to be won by you being on your knees in prayer. I go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is preparing to go to the cross he takes a few of his disciples with him further into the garden and says, wait here while I pray. He goes off and he prays, our Jesus, drenched in sweat that is blood, praying. He comes back 
to his disciples and he finds them asleep. He says, wait, wake up. Don't you know what's about to happen? Wake up, stay up with me, pray with me. And he goes off and he prays again. He comes back, he finds them asleep. About that time, the Roman centurions, the Jewish uh, uh, police come up to them to take him by force. And then the disciples want to fight. But what Jesus understood was the battle had already been won. The battle had already been fought. While they rested, Jesus fought. And when they were ready to fight, Jesus had rested in the battle that had already been won. Brothers and sisters, let 2020, what's left of it, and 2021 be marked by you, a soldier who is equipped, who goes into their prayer closet to pray with a belt of truth, not going to God as a cosmic Santa Claus or genie trying to fulfill the wishes that you want, but going to him in truth, going before him with a breastplate of righteousness, your desire to pursue him and your desire to show him that you are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Go into your prayer closets with the gospel shoes being rooted in gratitude for what Jesus has done for you. Go to him with a shield of faith, knowing that he is able to do abundantly above anything that you can ask or hope for, and that he cares for you and is going to accomplish what his word has promised. Go to him with a helmet of salvation. Go to him with the word. The battle is in prayer. Have you prayed for your family today? Have you prayed for your lost friends? Have you prayed for our nation? Is your life marked by it? What if when you walked out these doors today, you walked out like you were walking out into a combat zone? How would it affect the way that you act and the way that you interact? My encouragement to you today is to know the strength of the Lord. I want you to understand the strength that he provides. I want you to understand the scale of our battle. I want you to know the stance that God has given you, the security and the armor that he has given you. And I want you to know finally our strategy, which is to always, at all times, at all costs, to be in prayer. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m. as well as streaming live on Facebook and YouTube on Sundays at 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.